check, check. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Wilma podcast, where we discuss how white lives matter always, and the rest of us just matter sometimes. <laughs> I'm one of your hosts here, your co-host, Sarah Good Medicine, uh, and I use she, her pronouns. It's Pride Month, Indigenous Awareness Month. This will be coming out in July, so this will just be on the tail end uh, of all of that action there. And if we could just go around the table and introduce ourselves. Who do we have around the table? Okay. Hi, uh, I'm Sahana Parameswara. My pronouns are she, her. And uh, I want to acknowledge that I'm here on Treaty 7 territory, an unwelcome guest. Um, it's the uh, traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, Siksika, Kainai, Pikani, Sutina, the Nakoda Nations, and Métis Nation Region 3. I'm very grateful to be here today. A first guest to do our land acknowledgement. Very good. And my name is Stephen Wright. I'm the old white guy. Um, Couldn't do it without you. And we're really glad that you're here. This is exciting. Thank yeah, you. Very exciting. And I guess just to give the listeners a little bit of context, uh, how do we know you, Sahana? <laughs> how do you know me? Well, I met you, uh, Sarah, through Steve. Uh, Steve and I are colleagues at Gateway Association. And um, yeah, we came about in, in the spirit of wanting to do this podcast. That's right. And uh, for our listeners, we've talked a little bit about Gateway Podcast and also the intersections of racism and uh, disabilities and accessibility. Um, you know, and that's interesting too, to think about all the different, uh, you know, I guess we might say systems of oppression or whatever, because, you know, we often, in Western society, we'll single them out. Um, but, you know, the way we exist isn't in isolation sort of thing, that all these hierarchies and systems, they actually, you know, are constantly in operation at the same time. Um, doesn't mean they're, they're uh, always as prevalent, but the intersections exist nonetheless. And so, um, you know, that sort of brings me to one of our first prompts here, um, which you said was sort of interesting to you, Sahana about politics of recognition. And so I'm just sort of curious when you read that, like, mm -hmm. um, like yeah, you said it stood out to you. I'm just curious mm -hmm. why. Yeah, um, I think thinking more about it, you know, I came to Canada as a student um, and in the university, you're suddenly a number, you know, you don't know anybody, you're a newcomer. Um, it's just your identity, like your ID is your identity, you know, these mm. digits. And then you, you know, I was in university for a couple of years and then suddenly there was this influx of multiculturalism as a topic in every textbook. So uh, and sorry, just to be clear, so when you got here, it wasn't like that. Because like, I think when I was sort of growing up, multiculturalism was like, like that was what Canada is or whatever. You know what I mean? I don't believe it, obviously, but it was, you know, so that wasn't a thing when you got here. No, I did not experience that. I um, felt like... Uh, it depends on the subjects too, right? Like I started in engineering and obviously it wasn't there. But then in humanities, it was the last chapter of every book. It's the um, it's it's a one thing that they almost felt obligated to cover. And you know, as a newcomer, to me it it felt like, oh, I'm seen as part of this mosaic. What a wonderful idea. Mm. As well, it gave me a sense of this is a, a group culture after all it's a collective culture after all it's this false illusion of what it is right mm -hmm. and having come from India where it is a collective culture 
um, for those moments when those chapters were being taught, I felt like I was in a collective culture. And mm. it also made me feel seen and it made me feel like I belonged in this country. I, I mean, I didn't really look at any of that critically back then. I didn't have the critical lens. You know, mm. as a newcomer, that's the, it's the last lens you have. You're very grateful for being here. And so, um, like I said, that's how they rope you in. That's how they <laughs> make you feel like you uh, have value. And I think that's what it comes down to is value. You know, something that you said too stands out to me uh, related to what you're saying now is uh, like you came as a newcomer. Like, what does that mean, you know, to come as a, a newcomer? Because, you know, there's generations of white settler Europeans who have been here. And I'm not saying that people don't have a relationship with the place here, um, but settler society to in, in a literal and metaphoric eyes is sort of like squashes out indigenous, you know, mm -hmm. and unless it's in some sort of, uh, you know, channel of, of recognition where the colonial state, you know, is, is comfortable with it or whatever, you know, like heard white people just straight up. I don't think they say it out loud uh, anymore, but, I, you know, I've heard stories and heard white people straight up say, you know, these are my Indians or my indigenous people are like this as if we're like, mm. in fact, uh, Steve even has said that on the show, <laughs> like our indigenous people. So I'm just wondering, you know, around like, what does it mean to be a newcomer? Like it just such a, it's an interesting word to me, I guess. And yeah, I, I think in hindsight, that's how they make you feel special. Like I think that's a word, an identity given to you so you can feel like you're starting something new, which means that you have to erase the past, your own past from the country you came from, and you are becoming implicit in erasing the past of this country, right? There's no education on who was here. And uh, I'm going to come over to you in a sec, Steve. I was going to say, though, but and you also said that it's a collective culture a collective mm -hmm. society and you mm -hmm. said um, like is that part that's part of how they get you is what you're saying yeah it's they make you feel like you are you belong in Canada and I think that's that's very very uh, deliberate um, so I think it'll help it helps again it helps with erasing someone else's belongingness yeah. by making you feel like you belong and it also builds up the model minority myth, right? Like it kind of gets you started on that right. path of, okay, now that you're here, now that you have a new beginning, what are you going to do that's going to make you amazing? And uh, not saying this because nobody's going to kick you out, but I'm just saying, I'm wondering this, like, do you still feel welcome? And do you still feel like you have a place here? Like, is this society built for you? Oh, that's... Uh, no, I, I struggle with that. I really struggle with being on this land. I feel like um, um, I feel like I I think that's what land back to me is is um, recognizing that I don't belong and that my liberation here is at the cost of many people's oppre oppression. Mm. And and who whose oppression are you referring to? I'm def directly referring to the indigenous peoples of this land. It's their oppression. It's not, not anyone else's. Um, and and it, it is a struggle. I've, I've um, made many choices in my life of where I live or how I live where I live or the work that I do based on this 
immigrant guilt that I carry. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so we happen to have a white guy on the podcast here, you know, representing all white people. I'm just curious what your gears look like you're turning, or they're turning. Uh, you want to share what, what you're thinking about or what you're feeling in this? Well, I think it's interesting that you brought that up about uh, being accepted and part of this big grand mosaic. But I can't help thinking about that all of us who have come to Canada um, sort of sort of drank that Kool-Aid and we're all part of that big con job. However, I, I also think that, that um, the number of people coming to Canada is going to increase significantly in the next 10 to 15 years. Cause and why do you say that? We're, we're, we're in the midst of a huge labor shortage. Huh. And so if you really take a look at other countries in Europe, like Germany, like Italy, um, at first glance, you think, wow, are those, are those countries ever progressive? They're letting a lot of people from different countries come in. Uh, but really, it's entirely for selfish reasons, right? It's for the economic benefit because mm. our population is being reduced. Mm. So I, I, mm -hmm. I remember that. Mm -hmm. I remember in days where Canada was multiculturalism and it's like we have a badge of honor that we all strutted around, right? Because none of us really had that critical lens. Mm -hmm. It just it never actually entered your head mm -hmm. um, until now, I think, you know, and I think it's, it's things like this podcast that are going to open people's eyes and they're going to start looking at it critically. You know, this sort of reminds me, too, of what you were saying, like uh, model immigrant. That's how you put it? Model minority. Model yeah. minority. Yeah. So... Um, so this uh, lady that I met, uh, she's from South America, she identifies as Latina, and she was told when she um, got here that she had to better her race. And uh, this was referring to who she was going to marry. And I was like, so like, what did they mean when they said that, like mm -hmm. better your race sort of thing? And uh, she's like, well, that's the thing, so you think about it or whatever, and she's reflecting on it. And she said that uh, what they're actually saying is is that you need to marry a white guy, mm. and uh, you know, and so in that way, you know, the sort of stroke of assimilation in you know other ways, sort of thing. And so I can't help but sort of think about you know my own experiences and Indigenous people's experiences with assimilation, and then also this model minority idea of you mm -hmm. know like. What does that mean to be a model minority? Mm -hmm. Well, the, I think um, just like the mosaic idea, the illusion, you don't know that you're part of the model minority until you're in it and somebody draws, you know, points a finger and says what's happening. Um, it is, it, okay, so we talked earlier about, you know, whiteness, right? That's something that you brought up. And, it's something and we talk about a little bit on the show. Well, just a little <laughs> bit, right? Uh, but just before the podcast started, we talked about, you know, whiteness and in, in culture as a culture. And I think right. that to me, I, not just to me, sorry, I, I shouldn't say it like it's my thought. It's, it's this article I read by Coco in Montreal. It's about white supremacy characteristics, right? Mm. So I see it as characteristics of white supremacy mm. that are part of everybody's culture, mm. even if you're not white. So perfectionism, for example. It's a very simple one, like it's in many cultures, but it actually comes from white supremacy culture, mm. right? And, and so, um, and I think that model minority is also part of that. It's about wanting to be good, 
wanting to be seen as um, you made it. You came to this country, you made it, uh, you're hardworking, right? There's this linear process, linear pathway almost. You get your education, then you get a job, then you get a better job. Somewhere along the lines, you get a job, um, sorry, buy a house, a car, what have you. So there's this very linear pathway and all of this is part of the modern minority. And, and so these are characteristics that are in uh, immigrant cultures as well as in cultures, in white cultures. And I think at some point it's like, um, it almost doesn't matter. Model minorities often, it also applies to women, not just people of color, right? Like it's this, mm-hmm. if, if you're, if you're like being you made marginalized. Patriarchal. Yeah, absolutely. If you're made marginalized because of the systems, then you feel all the more um, accountable to making a success of yourself, to showing that you can get the same rights and you are allowed the same privileges. And so uh, I guess I do want to ask a little bit, you know, right now we're at the, uh, what is it, the Calgary Heritage Roasting Company, right? And that even that word heritage to me is sort of like weird, uh, you know, Canadian heritage. What does mm-hmm. that mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, genocide. <laughs> it, dep- uh, it depends on you where know. you are when they talk about it. Yeah, well, and that's, you know, I feel like it sort of ties into what we're talking about in a way um, because, you know, the way that they get to you is, you know, you feel like you're being a part of something, that you're included. Do you feel like in a way you get to be a part of Canadian heritage? Is that is that a feeling that no. in that narrative of assimilation? Maybe in the Canadian anarchist heritage, people who, yeah, I think in, in a way, whether I want it or not, it's also about how people view me, right? So people what, back what do you home. Mean? So people back home in India, for example, would see me as Canadian, you know, settled in, happy, uh, have a job that I love, have people that I like, a community mm-hmm. that I love. So it's it's whose identity are we talking about and who gave this identity, right? Like is it how I see myself or how others see me? They're all part of identity making and I don't feel like I'm part of the Canadian heritage. In fact, I fight against it all the time. But by participating in this system, right? You kind of are in a way. Right? 50 years from now, I'll be seen as part of this heritage. I'll be seen as part of Gateway (laughs) Association, which is, you know, founded by families, for other families. So it it is another culture of its own. It's a a bubble heritage of its own. So, yeah, I'm going to be a part of it. Yeah sort of yeah that's non-consensual but it is so well sort of consensual i would say like because i'm participating yeah Yeah. like i feel like you know yeah you're still again not not uh not going real racist on you and telling you you know you got to get out or nothing i have this (laughs) i have this bar uh these bars um they're not going back on the Mayflower, not uh The Mayflowers was one of the big boats that came yeah, to know. deliver. <laughs> You're like, I know. <laughs> um, uh, they're not going back on the Mayflower, not uh Refer to the earth as my mother call her, uh, not uh which is a Blackfoot word for mother. Look to the su- sky, see my father call him Dutta, which is uh, father or uh, patriarch in, uh, in Blackfoot. Um, 
Look to the sky, see my father, call him Tata. Make offerings for those who have hurt me a lot. Uh, meaning like I make uh, tobacco offerings for those people who, who do those things. And so, yeah, like I do feel, you know, people who are choosing to be a part of settler society, it doesn't mean that we, we can't coalesce against it, you know, but this is sort of part of, you know, developing that critical perspective of how we are the world around us, the settler colonial world and the settler colonial world is also inside of us yeah and uh you know those two things to me they can't separate uh not forcing you to think that or believe that that's just you know i do i do feel like mm -hmm. you know um like yeah you yeah. know that's it's a continuation of, of a story mm -hmm. um what do you think about all this <coughs> well <coughs> as a white man He's grown up in Canada. I th think, as far as his heritage, I think we twist and turn and manipulate what we want to think heritage is. So, when I was growing up in Ontario, there would be century houses, they would call them, and if they were over 100 years old, there would be a law which you could apply, and then you'd, that house would never ever get torn down. Hmm. Um, and I, that's what I sort of grew up in. So all the buildings around me were really old. And then you come out to Alberta and we destroy and tear down places left, right, and center to build all these fancy skyscrapers. To me, that's a really good way of wiping out heritage and wiping out memories and wiping out cultures right. that existed here. Example of if continued we don't, genocide. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're, it's genocide of, your, of the indigenous culture, right? And, and it's also... A, genocide of a, the white culture, right? So I'm thinking of the people that first came to Calgary and settled um, and built a life and all of a sudden, you know, we just kind of erase all that. Like there's no meaning to the past, right? We're very good at, at destroying the past. We're also very good at making people believe that there is a future. <clears throat> really what you do by that is you take away people's ability to live in the present and to really critically take a look around and say, okay, this is what's happening. So when you talk mm -hmm. about heritage, <clears throat> I think it's just a, a word that us white folks have, have used and, and manipulated. And what do you both think about this? Like if we say we're not a part of the heritage, <laughs> that we're reinforcing the continued genocide of the cultures, ways of being, <clears throat> the people even, you know what I mean? I like I think it's a tool to manipulate whatever the powers to be want us to believe in, right? And so um, I just always think a friend of mine, has, uh, he came over from Russia, and they actually came over here because there was, there was a big revolution going on, and he was telling me the story about how when the Russians came out on the, on the wagon trains going into the prairies, because that's where we would put them, um, a lot of their babies died because of a disease, but they kept the babies, the women, the mothers kept the babies in their arms because they were so scared of coming back. Mm. And they wanted to stay here on the belief that this is a much better life, right? So. And sorry, so if they didn't have babies, then they, could, they couldn't stay? If No, if the authorities came and saw that all the babies died, they would have been sent back because it was a, a disease that was sort of contagious and spreading. Oh, oh fear of an epidemic. Yeah, actually. And so uh, I always think of that story and think about how it must feel, you know, leaving your homeland because you're being persecuted and coming to a new land and being really scared and, and learning how to play that game as a way of, of success, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, 
Would, yeah, as, go ahead. As, a, as, as somebody that's, you know, come here because I had privilege as opposed to came here because I was persecuted. What do you mean? Uh, what do you mean? I had access to money. I could buy a ticket. I could come live here. Like I, when I moved from India, I, um, I was not coming because I was a refugee. I was coming because of the promise of a better life. For me, it was a promise of much reduced patriarchy. That's all I really cared about at that time. I was only 20. But then to come here and see, uh, I'm often troubled by how a lot of people came here, uh, especially white people from different countries, came here because they were being persecuted in their own countries. And I, I struggle with that because I feel like they came and so did the white supremacy characteristics, right? Like, like that came with them. Their, their histories of persecution, yes, probably has some relevance to the story of why they immigrated, but then they also brought with them these characteristics mm-hmm. and they They're continue to have privilege here. Even if they came as refugees, they have a lot more privilege than I will ever have, even mm-hmm. though I came here with privilege. You know, it just sort of strikes me too is like nobody ever thought like, so it's like nobody ever questioned that it was white people's land. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. And I and I feel you on that. It makes me think of uh, something that the consciously brought up recently. Uh, who's an educator? Uh, followed them on Instagram. They uh, said that like being Jewish is not a race. Yes, you know you're persecuted and everything. Um, you know, and I don't know. I was thinking about that. Uh, you know, a lot, and I feel like yeah, like. You, th- it's not to say there's not ethnicities within whiteness, but that within this world of racism, you know, the way that functions is that they are, they're white. There's no way to mm-hmm. get away with that, mm-hmm. uh, get away from that. And um, it's interesting, like, you were also escaping something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And coming somewhere where you had more power. Mm-hmm. And still, you know, I can't help but feel and think that you know, both in both of those examples, you and those white settlers, it was still at the expense of our, our people in, in in a way. And yeah, it's just, you know, just this <coughs> sort of twisted twisted thing. And Yeah, because the emphasis is on persecution, right? Mm-hmm. That's the focus of the story. So when you're leaving it, that becomes your narrative. Right. But if the emphasis is on, you're actually going to go on someone else's land and, and nobody invited you, it's at the cost of their persecution. Nobody brings that up. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I feel like we could stay here for a while, but I do want to sort of uh, move us along a little bit. Um, something you brought up there uh, of the prompts there. Um, I was talking with uh, Adora, um, who's the BLM leader here in Mokinstas, Calgary, and they mentioned to me, we had a conversation, they mentioned to me that whiteness is not a culture. It's access to power. And I've just been thinking about this so much because I think on the podcast here, uh, but also just in my life, I often do think mm-hmm. about uh, whiteness as a culture. And I have, I believe, I think, uh, you know, it's a valid statement. And then I also think, well, you know, I don't know. I still, f- you know, feel like whiteness is culture. And so I'm just sort of curious what you both think about that. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I think it's a combination of both. I think the culture of whiteness actually is, is the, uh, the traits and the social mores that we, we actually create because we're the dominant 
people here and, and uh, I mean almost everyone that's come to Canada that isn't indigenous actually came here a lot of people came because they were persecuted and so when you brought up the, the Mayflower mm-hmm. those people were being persecuted based on their religious beliefs because if you weren't aligned with with what the king's religion was then you were you were outed right or mm-hmm. You know, the Irish came because they were starving. Or if you look at any other country that's been settled and occupied by white people, it's usually those people came to have a better life. But they have uh, their closer proximity because of their color of their skin. Mm-hmm. So even though the pilgrims came over on the Mayflower, um, they quickly established themselves as being much more superior than the indigenous people that are living here. Mm-hmm. Similarly, in Australia really what England did or what Britain did is they just cleared out all the prisons because it was becoming really expensive. So a lot of these people were in prison because of debt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So majority of people came to, to Australia because they were being persecuted or they were actually being mm-hmm. sent over to Australia. And so I can't help but always think about the fact that how quickly it is that you come to a different place and you just sort of figure out what your role is. Mm-hmm in that world right and because you're the color of your skin is white you're just automatically elevated well and that's sort of the point that i was drawing to and saying the commonalities in your story because mm-hmm. you're not white physically you know what i mean nobody is going to confuse you with a white person um looking at you sahana and then um but there is a commonality with that story and so one of the other prompts that we have today is sort of whiteness as an attitude not just as a skin color mm-hmm. And so, you know, my experiences with this, you know, and we brought this example up before, you know, in, uh, in plantations back in the day, there were house slaves that were above field slaves because they were in the house, on the plantation, they got warmer beds, better food. Dressed tre- properly. Dr- yeah, they, <laughs> you know, all these things. Um, and, uh, you know, the same thing I think happened in... Um, in indigenous communities where, you know, if you were friends with the Indian agent, you know, then you would have more power. If you were friendly with the, uh, if you were friendly with the um, residential school priest, nun, teacher, you know, uh, mm-hmm. often refer to them as a teacher's pet or an uncle or auntie tomahawk. Nepotism. Yeah, in a way, right? Well, uh, yeah, I mean... I, it would be a sort sort of that. I can't remember the definition. I don't know if you want to mm-hmm. give a definition of that, of nepotism. I mean, I think uh, privilege because of familiarity, because of relationship, uh, the privilege that you earn because of that, as opposed to meritocracy. Um, and also, in this case, it, like, you know, the examples that you're giving, it's, it's uh, privilege so so that you don't experience the same kind of oppression as the others as mm-hmm. other people from your community and would you say like because when i think about it i think we go into you're becoming you're either closer to the well both i think you're closer to the people in positions power. of power and mm-hmm. and you know we might say the oppressors mm-hmm. but you are also becoming mm-hmm. you know def- yeah becoming and i and i like yeah. does that come up in your life at all? Uh, yeah, of course. I think uh, it's it's all around me. You know, it's this divide and conquer is like all around me. Um, even allies. Like, uh, what do you mean? Uh, I think 
I, I think it's the, um, the so capitalism and like everything that we're surrounded by, right? Like we were just talking about how all these systems, it's not a coincidence, you're mm-hmm. right, Sarah, it's not a coincidence. Um, and these systems require us to take positions of you know, what we agree with and what we disagree with, right? Constantly dichotomizing this world. And if you agree with something, then who are the people that agree with you, right? And so, um, and you have, if you have, and again, it depends on who has the power, right? So there's always power dynamics in any, in any setting so, that I go I guess, to. Yeah, like how do they come up for you? F- they come up for me in, um, I think it's around decision making, uh, who gets to make the decision, how are decisions being made. What kind uh, of decision making? <laughs> like, um, I feel we're still sort of talking in, uh, like, you know, describing things that are just, I don't know, ideas or whatever, but like, how does it come up for you in your life? Like, when do you feel like if I don't make this decision that the you know, white supremacist consciousness would appreciate that, you know, I'm gonna, it's gonna come back on me sort of thing. Um, I'm gonna lose power if I don't adhere to this. Uh, it definitely comes up when I'm in public. So if I'm at an event, a conference, um, even my daughter's school, I'll talk about my daughter's school. It comes up a lot. It's a, it's a pretty, it's Waldorf, and so it's very, very white school. Uh, it's based on Steiner's philosophy, so the, which is like why I'm interested in it. Uh, but it's a, it's a space of privilege, absolutely. Even if it's part of the public school system, to be able to think like that. Privilege is not just power, it's also a way to think about something, right? You have enough space to actually think about stuff and so in that space um, I uh, there are lots of parents that are against SOGI so education sexual orientation and gender inclusion Um, nowadays all schools are against that like a lot of parents are fighting against it it's a huge issue I don't know if you know that Um, and so uh, I'm working with the school uh, administration and the board to help them think through how to kind of you know fight back and how to balance back, and and they definitely want to. Um, I I I think there is a way in which that they want to behave that uh, keeps them in line with how white cultures behave. You know how they even protest back, for example, right? Like how they um, are trying to hold a line even though it's in the sand, um, and. I'm often placed in positions of needing to decide, okay, if, if I need my daughter to be in the school and be accepted in the school, um, then I need to work with the school administration in such a way that they don't see me as too different, too radical, uh, too out there, mm-hmm. uh, because I need my daughter to be accepted because at the end of the day, I care about the fact that she gets Steiner education, right? Like that's really all I care about. Mm. And so, I do have to hold back. Uh, I do have to sometimes play the game, uh, and um, yeah, and it's it's uh, it impacts my decision making in terms of how far I would go or what I would say. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, June is Pride Month. 
uh, also Indigenous Heritage Month. And I, uh, we've talked about this a little bit before on the podcast where, um, you know, it feels like we're talking about sexuality and gender, you know, inclusion is the word, um, you know, but it comes up to me because it feels like white people in general started to make this an issue that we need to talk about. Do you know what I mean? And so it it also feels sort of ironic in a way that you're advocating for that. Like, not ironic, but it just doesn't seem like a coincidence, I guess, is that, you know, we're not talking about uh, necessarily, like, critical race theory in this. It's it's still sort of at white comfort, I guess, is is what comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you were feeling something when I said inclusion, (laughs) Steve. Well, um... It's my person. First of all, I just want to go back to the house slave thing. That's very similar to trustees in the prison system. I think what we need to remember is it's the white folk that determines who's a house slave and who's a trustee. Yeah, it's not the other way around. But going back to inclusion, um, I really take exception to the fact that because we have we designate June as Pride Month that that we're doing due diligence and we should give ourselves a pat in the back saying we're inclusion when really, why are we having a special month? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, Indigenous month? Like, shouldn't every month be, you know, welcoming like that? And shouldn't we be celebrating life throughout the whole year? So who, who comes up with these, you know, um, Indigenous month, you know, and for the month of June or Pride month, you know, the month of June? Like, who actually comes up with that? It's the powers to be that kind of determine what's acceptable and what isn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's just pure tokenism. It just, it grates me. when I hear that yeah I feel that and I also uh, just want to kind of uh, point something out I feel I don't know maybe it's just something maybe it's nothing but I feel you're feeling things today like I hear it in your voice there's and I can see it in your eyes yeah and I'm just sort of like what's going on for you I just actually, maybe my eyes are clear, maybe the dust is cleared from my eyes and I'm seeing things really are, but I mean, you know, I'm just thinking of like... Metaphorically. International Day of the Disabled, like what the hell is that? Yeah. (laughs) One day we celebrate for the all over the world. It's like, I don't know, it's the meaning behind that, right? And I think all of us jump on that bandwagon if we want to be part of, of the elite, right? And some of us never actually get to achieve the same status as a white person as much it doesn't matter how hard you work or what you do, you're never ever going to achieve We're never going to be as high status as no. you. <laughs> no, and we're still going to be calling the shots. Yeah, people are going to look at you as the authority. Yeah, yeah so I mean that, I, you know, it's starting to really grate on me the fact that a lot of the things we do is tokenism. We're not an inclusive society. I mean, that's the biggest bunch of pure bull cock I've ever heard. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but it's, uh, we're not. We're not an inclusive society. And, uh, like, doesn't it, I guess this brings up a thing here, because I do feel like when people say inclusion, I can't help but think about white supremacy. Like, how do you even think on a paradigm where including people who are not included, like, one, it sort of assumes the power is already in you to include people, and that it's like they don't have a world to exist and coexist with. It's like you actually need to sort of be 
pulled it, into the a, white world. It's a white gaze, right? Like yes. I needed to exclude you, so now I can include you. So like you know, I needed to do that without exclusion. There's no inclusion. Those would be good lyrics for a song. <laughs> I need to exclude you before I include you. Yeah, that's so true. I All mean, right. that's why I struggle with inclusive employment. Like, <laughs> capitalism required racism and oppression to thrive. And now we're like, oh, can we get a job, please, mm, in your systems? Yeah. Can you include us? And they feel so good. You know, companies feel so good about inclusive mm -hmm, employment. Yeah. But then they intentionally excluded us to quote unquote flourish. Yeah. yeah. False like, generosity. So it's oh. false generosity. And yeah. So, um, you know, some of this, too, mm. reminds me, even though uh, dominating groups, you know, able-bodied, minded people, white people, cisgendered people, heterosexual people, you know, all these people that, uh, you know, benefit from these systems of oppression the most, uh, the rest of us, you know, we might say BIPOC people, if we're just thinking on a race level, um, that... You know, we have to work harder in, sp in white spaces. Uh, and so, you know, what comes to mind, there was a story that I heard about uh, where black people could become overseers on plantations, but that it wasn't just the same as a white overseer. They actually had to be meaner in a way. And sort of what I imagine is that they had, because they're black, they had to prove themselves that they were for that hierarchy right mm -hmm. more so than somebody who's white you know who had the you know maybe more versatility to express compassion or whatever it was but you know mm -hmm. that um and i think that same sort of thing happens when our, you know those that same sort of structure of being a house slave or a teacher's pet you know ex uh, uh uncle tom or auntie uncle tomahawk you know um these people that that story actually never stopped i don't think you know we see these no. these people <laughs> it's evident in the counsel. 21st century <laughs> you know all sorts of things you know and it reminds me of politics of recognition <laughs> who's in our mm -hmm. society getting power you know because they're being recognized by the colonial state or colonial authorities and you know that's not separate from the table you know what i mean like you know us here at this table have more power in society because of the way that we're recognized by yeah. uh, mm -hmm. the colonizers. So, I don't know. What do y'all think about that? What is that? You were, you were saying earlier that. Sarah, when I when I hear that, I think of the conversation you and I had a while ago about how when we started A Rock training at Gateway is mm -hmm. when I felt when I realized how much power I have. I don't think I knew it until then. Because again, mm. this my the characteristics that values that govern me were to be hardworking, to be honest, to be transparent, and and honorable and honorable, and and I think that's also part of the model minority. But you don't realize it because I grew up with it. It's not because I came here I needed to prove myself. I never actually felt like I needed to prove myself. But that's just me. But most people do, right? And. Um, but I grew up with those values, and, and I realized how. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> saved by the oh, bell. Oh, saved <laughs> by the bell. Yeah. Uh, but I realized how much, like, what positionality means, and how much power I hold, and it made me more hesitant about public speaking, mm -hmm. because yeah, there is so much power. 
I remember that you told mm-hmm. me, you yeah. know, when we started this training, I, you know, where I used to feel comfortable speaking all the time. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm not that way. So, you know, what it, uh, that's a really interesting thing. And it also, like, do you see yourself, because we were sort of being critical of those white folks, which is good. But we also got to see, you know, going back to that idea of whiteness as an attitude, you know, that transcends the color of our skin. You know, what I'm sort of hearing from you is the same sort of story as those white folks who were assuming white power here in the same way, you know, you had sort of found power and assumed your entitlement to it. We all do. Absolutely. I think by participating, by engaging in the system. They get us. They get us. And we're (laughs) all... You know, it's a characteristics of this culture, right? And mm-hmm. so, so yeah, uh, I think also uh, I, I was getting deeper into my peacemaking circle practice and, and that humility was a big thing. And I realized how humility as a value in a circle is like, how do you, when you recognize that um, humility is also always connected to power, right? You're able... You're required to be humble because you have power. Yes. You know, that connection I hadn't made. It's very interesting. And so it kind of, because mm-hmm. there's so many people who are naturally mm-hmm. humble because they don't have power. So what do you, what does that mean? And a lot mm-hmm. of uh, self-interrogation, really. Right. Uh, and it's not in this sort of noble, flaunty way, I feel like it's, it's uh, there's a difference. Yeah, that's so interesting. Well, I feel like you both have given me lots to talk about. Uh, Steve, uh, any last words here uh, before we wrap up? No, again, as always, there's always food for thought, and I look forward to the conversation that you and I have after the podcast, yeah. <laughs> as the three of us, as we debrief, because it's actually opened up my eyes to a lot of things. Yeah. What you just said about humility is something I need to really, really think about in my own life and how... I'm part of the issue too, right? Yeah, it's not outside of us. Oh. Just like a problematic society is not to blame because yeah. that same problematic society, we, we, if we don't blame ourselves, if we don't go into ourselves, then nothing's ah. going to change. Exactly. It, it, it's so We're so lucky that the solution is so simple. Even though it's uh. hard to do it. <laughs> yeah, but do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, that no. If we can go inside ourselves and see what we're doing wrong, <laughs> if that is what we can do, I'm always hmm. marveled at how so, beautiful it, it is. Feels a little too woke for me, but I uh, uh, I feel what you're saying. I well, do. <laughs> I mean, it's fair. You're feeling woke. It's like you know, one one fifteen p.m. I'm glad you woke up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to sleep in today, and I got I had to wake up early. So yes. Well, uh, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on uh, here, being the first guest to do our land acknowledgement. My, my um, honor. Thank you. Uh, as always, you can follow us at the Wilma Podcast on Instagram. We're also on Twitter. Uh, mind you, we're not posting as much on Twitter. Uh, you can reach out to us on email uh, at, uh, sorry, not uh, at the Wilma Podcast, spelled T-H-E-W-L-M-A podcast at gmail.com. We're on Apple Podcasts now. We're also on Spotify Podcast. You can catch us on SoundCloud. and um, We're everywhere. We're everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Just like white supremacy. Oh, God. (laughs) Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.